0: was in a jet ski accident when she was 14 years old, killing her friend and nearly killing her. She ended up paralyzed and was told she would be nothing more than a vegetable for the rest of her life. She turned her story into one of happiness and positivity by publishing three books, one of which is being turned into a TV show. Kristen will discuss the adversity she has had to overcome at such a young age, and how she has truly embraced living with a disability. everyone. Welcome back to Lady Empire. I have such an amazing guest here with me today. Kristen, thank you so much for being here.
1: I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: So I first just want to start off with you telling us a little bit about your childhood and your upbringing, Um, and really I want to dive into the tragic jet ski accident that you were involved with, with at such an early age. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Okay, it all kind of leads into each other. So I had an awesome childhood. I have a a sister that's two years older than me. Um, Mom and dad, we lived up. We grew. I grew up in suburban Virginia. Um, beautiful childhood, very happy. I had um, a faith in God. I went to church, and I had friends. I had a lot of friends. Um, and then when I was 14 years old, so it was a week, about a week before my 15th birthday, and about a week before the sophomore, the beginning of, sorry, the first day of my sophomore year of high school. Um, I went to the Lake Assin with my friend Aubrey, who I had grown up in since I was in child and youth group. Um, Her friend Field, who I met the weekend before at a church Kings Dominion trip, had a really big crush on him. He's really cute. Laughed at my jokes, etc. And then a guy Mark, who I'd seen in school but I'd never talked to him before because we were different friend groups. Um, So we were there for a weekend, a long weekend, and on the last day, August twenty eighth, the last day of the trip, we went out on two jet skis, and it was Mark driving Aubrey and. I'm sorry, field driving Aubrey and Mark driving me. And um, the combination of a no wake zone and fields and attention led to field driving into and on top of Mark and I. So Mark fell forward and died on impact. And I was turning around like, what is that noise? And I was hit in the the left side of the head. So I had a traumatic brain injury and my back. um, So I had a spinal cord injury. And My spine was stretched at the T8 vertebrae, which is right at your rib bones, right over top of your rib bones. Um, So they said that I fell in the water. Actually, weirdly, I fell in the water and the lady who I talked to that saw me, who was in a nearby boat, said that I fell in and I was sitting up like I was like straight up, like I was in a chair, um, which is weird to me. Thank God for life vest, I guess. Um, So I did not fall face first. um, And they, but they still said that I'm going to die. Cause I had you know, a problem with almost every um, organ in my body and um, severe head trauma, all that stuff. And so they, but they took me to the hospital um, where they declared Mark dead on arrival and they, he was already dead when he got hit. And then they said that I'm not far behind him. So they called my parents and said, you know, your child is going to die in a matter of hours. Come say your last goodbyes. I cannot imagine that. Um, that's amazing to me. So, um, They rushed down, um, rushed down from Virginia to North Carolina and they said I was going to live, you know, a day max, 24 hours if she's lucky. But I survived for two weeks when I was in Pitt Memorial Hospital in North Carolina for two weeks until I was stable enough to be taken to MCV in Richmond in my hometown, which at the acute care center, um it was for people who, you know, need a lot of help. So I was there, I was still in a coma at this point. Um, and I was there for, um, let's see two months total. I woke up around, actually I'm sorry, four months. I was in a coma for about two months total. Um, I woke up around December and I had short term memory loss. I don't remember anything until the end of December, Halloween in the hospital was one of my first memories. I was at children's hospital. So you know, you would think it's a little bit more fun, but it's a hospital, so it's not any fun in any sense. Um, But I remember my, my first memory was two of my friends came um, to visit me in the hospital. We were treating and um, around the hospital. So that was a cool first memory, but anyway, so I woke up and they said, um, she's never going to um, breathe or talk or swallow, or she'll be a vegetable. She'll, she's gonna like live her life you know, as in a vegetable, they told my parents this again, um, another hit to my parents. And I proved all that wrong. And I started, and they said her short term memory loss is never going to go away. She's never going to get her short term memory back. Um, so I started proving all that stuff wrong because I was waking up, I was talking, I was engaging, I was remembering things from, you know, 10 minutes ago. Um, and it continued to get better until I left the hospital in December. And they also said, I'm sorry, backing up. They also said, I'm never going to move or feel below my injury level, which again is these rib bones. Again, they said, say goodbye to sports, walking, feelings from your feet, all that stuff. I was very athletic before my accident. So that was the biggest hit to me is losing sports. Um, But they said, you know, too bad. They didn't say too bad, but they said like, here's your wheelchair, you know, learn how to use it. This is the rest of your life. Um, and then I'll get into the rest. I'm, I'm going a little too fast, but I'll get into the, my response to that.
0: No, <laughs> oh, this is so fascinating. I'm so shocked and just so glad that you're alive today. I can't even imagine what you've gone through, what your parents have gone through and your family. So I am so glad to see that you're alive and that you are continuing to improve. And I want to ask a question and you can share as much as you'd like. Um, you t- mentioned how you were in a coma for quite some time tell us a little bit about what the feeling was like when you got out of this coma and you were starting to engage with people you know tell us a little bit about what was going on in your mind
1: um so good question a lot of people have asked me are you were you angry were you confused what were your feelings and the truth is i So my doctors told my parents all this stuff, not breathing, talking, speaking, not going to feel her lower body, all that stuff. My parents are two angels and they started, they went immediately and they said, she's going to wake up. She's going to talk. She's going to breathe all that stuff. And when she does, we're going to figure out how to rehabilitate her back into, you know, I'm going to say a normal person and people get after me for saying normal, but a normal person, a normal able-bodied, like, you know, be able to walk again and get all that stuff back. So When I woke up and they told me, um, you're not going to move or feel or do all this stuff. My parents kind of countered with, they're saying that, but you, you know, there are ways to do this and there is stuff out there. So you work until you work two more months to get out of this hospital and we'll be off to California, California. There's a place called project walk that I went and I worked out for four hours a day, five days a week, you know, trying to get stuff back and I'll get back into that later. Um, but another thing of, was I angry? Was I angry with the guy that ran into me? Was I angry with God for not, for letting this happen? Angry at the world, anything. I didn't feel, I, I didn't, I didn't feel any of that, which seems too good to be true. But I woke up in such a, such an atmosphere of people that love me, people saying, this is what happened to you. This is what could have, you could look like right now. You could you could be like this, but instead you're, I mean, you could not be able to breathe person on your own, but you know, you're able to breathe. So it's just the comparison of what could have happened to me. Um, and it's just being waking up and being surrounded by such like Jesus loving people who are just like there to support me and there to just love me and just happy that I'm alive. Um, and so I never, I kind of skipped, I skipped the whole anger part until, um, Until I didn't really feel frustration really with my with my injury until college, until I went on on my own and went to college and kind of I was I wasn't surrounded by people that knew me before my accident and after I was surrounded by people who were meeting me for the first time as a disabled person and that frustrated me because I don't like being seen like that and it was just harder to fit in with the whole college scene because you know obvious reasons and that's just not me. Um and so so I kind of I skipped that whole anger and frustration and everything cuz I was so motivated on I don't have time to feel all this stuff. I'm going to walk. I'm going to get this back and I'm going to do this.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the recovery period. You mentioned going out to California to Project Walk. Tell us a little bit about that process and how difficult it was to get back into exercising and and just working on yourself physically.
1: -hmm. Um, I was very thankful for a purpose and a goal, which is which was and is to regain my feeling and movement and be able to get back on my feet one day and walk. So I was thankful for it, and that was really helpful with my recovery and my acceptance and all that stuff. And I was also um before my accident, I was a competition cheerleader, um field hockey and lacrosse player. So I was very athletic. So that part kind of came naturally to me. Um, but the part that was frustrating is before i would you know work out a lot to run a faster mile but now i'm working out i'm working out a lot to um you know move my leg or like wiggle my toe and it's also something that it's not just something i can work really hard and get it's something that my mind has to make the connection so it's a matter of um and i did like laying in bed for hours at a time and staring at my toes and sending sending brain signals down to my toes to um wiggle them. And it's frustrating. It's very frustrating because, you know, I can like feel it happening, but it's not actually yeah. happening. And all I can really do is just sit there and stare at my toes and just send more signals. So it's a very ambiguous um life. And that's frustrating. But you know, I got used to it.
0: <laughs> so I want to talk about how this whole experience really affected your mental health and your mental well-being. Um, how and why did you not give up and become this vegetable that they said you would become? And, you know, what, what in your mind really made you keep pushing forward?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So that's all for hope of hope that was given to me by my family, my friends, whatever, and a little bit of science because back in 2005, there was like hardly any research out there for a spinal cord injury and, you know, getting getting stuff back in the stem cells and all that stuff. There's not a whole lot of um, research at the time right now. There's a lot more. Um, but it's just the hope of like, I'm either going to get back. I'm going to get back what I lost or I'm going to, you know, have fun doing it. I'm going to work really hard to do it. And I'm going to get back as much as I can. And it's just the goal of like, just return of sensation movement. And I'm I'm surrounded by, again, um, a community, a family community of people who are just like, what do you want to do, Kristen? Like, like, let's do it. Let's go to Dominican Republic and let's get stem cells. Like, you know, we learned about it last month and let's go next month. Like, it's just a family and a community that supports my crazy um, dreams. And so, like I said, it didn't, my disability, the downfall of my disability didn't really hit me until college when I'm trying to make new friends and I'm trying to you know fit into a community that I don't really want to fit into very much because um I felt like I felt like my I felt like while everyone else I'm generalizing a lot but while everyone else is you know drinking on the weekends and partying I'm like going and working out like my neurological disability and like you know leaving between class to go like walk in braces and it's just it seems like I was very um on a different playing field in a good way in my opinion, um, so it was hard to fit in and to it took me a couple of years and I finally kind of got a little bit of a hang of it, but I never really but i'm I don't know I'm glad to be out I didn't love all my years in college anyway. And everyone's
0: college experience is so different (laughs) and I can't even imagine being in your position and trying to, I mean, just being someone without a disability and going to college is so difficult. So I can't even imagine, you know, having a disability and trying to make friends and fit in and, you know, be present. It's, it's really hard. So, uh, but you made it. So that's good. (laughs) Thanks. So tell us a little bit about how this whole tragedy affected your family. Obviously, your parents must have just been absolutely shattered um, when they heard about this. Do you think that this experience really brought your family closer together or sort of separated you in a sense? Mm
1: -hmm. We've been, we've always been, we have family 4 we've always been a close family, Um, but Life has always been very easy for us before my accident. You know, nothing was really going wrong. My parents are raising two beautiful daughters, just complimented myself. Um, <laughs> um, so life was very easy. So it was easy to be close and get along and stuff. And then my accident, and it can either push people away or bring them real tight together in my family. The foundation of us being always close and us having our faith in God and us having you know, we have to work together because I needed them so much at that time. And they just like, picked me up and carried me through it. And it was awesome. And it's, it's helped a lot. Um, it's, I guess, long term helped a lot. Um, because, you know, almost 16 years later, and we're still close, since, like my parents are my best friends and my sister, my sister is so close. And it's just, like long lasting. We're a very close family.
0: Good. And I'm so happy to hear that because I think when these tragedies and experiences happen, a lot of people aren't so lucky to have a close-knit family and a close-knit community. So I'm so happy that you have that um, and that extreme support is so important. So I want to talk about your book now. You wrote a book about your experience called Greater Things. Everyone go check this out and read this book if you want to really learn about Kristen's experience and what she's gone through. So tell us a little bit about how difficult it was to share your story through this book. Was it a little bit therapeutic or was it really challenging to get this down on paper?
1: So my book is... Very fun because I had what happened is I um, I came back to school halfway through the year, sophomore year of high school, um, and I took creative writing because I heard it was an easy A and you can't really you know get a bad grade in creative writing. I'd never been or I'd never written anything before, so I took this creative writing class and I realized um, it's fun. I'm kind of good at it. There are so many new things in my life that I need to I need to get down and process and I need to get down because. I'm going to forget the details or I want to share, or it's just, um, just a fun, a fun way, a different way to look at life, um, through my writing. So I was hoping I can kind of bring people to my level a little bit. Um, so I started doing that and for about 10 or 11 years, I had about 35 stories of just things I did. Like when I went, um, adaptive skiing, I wrote a story about that when I went, you know, to, California and Project Walk. I wrote a story about that. So I had 35 stories. Um, and then one day for, for um, Christmas, I'm sorry, 35 stories of me just like writing as if no one's going to see them. Mm-hmm. So it's just me being completely open and completely, you know, holding nothing back. And so for Christmas um, in 2014, I think I printed, um, I still published a book for my parents, my grandparents, my sister. Like here's all these stories that you didn't even know I was writing, but you know i i try to I try to look at it as um, with some comedy, but it's also like it's gonna it's it's entertaining, but it's also a completely different perspective and nothing you would ever th- really think of before. Um, but I'm I'm a naturally lighthearted person. I don't want to say I'm hilarious, but like I'm a naturally lighthearted person. Um, so so it's there. It's like it's like putting a fun twist on a seemingly terrible situation, but it's not terrible. Um, so anyway, I published a book for them, for my family for Christmas. And then I realized how fun it was to like make a book, but still actually publishing a book. Like who does that? No one actually publishes book. Um, but I just like followed through with it because why not? I don't have a job. Like I have a part time job and I have time to just like pitch myself to hundreds. Um, I was counting. It was, I stopped counting at like 600, um, um, literary agents and publishers and, um, just like selling my soul to these emails. Anyway, getting rejected, getting ignored, all that stuff. And then I finally pitched to the right people, Morgan James publishing and, um, greater things. And if it's a tornado of events, greater things was born. Um, so that came out in 2017. It is, uh, and it came, when it came out, I was really excited, but also kind of terrified because these, this is, I didn't take, I didn't take stuff out saying, Oh, I don't want to be that vulnerable. I just kind of like did it. Cause I didn't think I'd ever actually publish a book and it would ever come true, but I just did it. And then when it became like a book, I'm like, these are all of my thoughts. I'm like, I'm completely open. These are all my thoughts. This is all of Kristen in this book that people are going to read. They're going to know everything. Um, and so that was a little bit terrifying, but I got over it because of the impact that it had because I got such a good response from that one. And I got people, you know, just having my new, just being able to know my perspective, just relate to my stories. And that was really great. So, um, I continue that on and I published date me my second book. We're going to get into this jumping ahead. Date me," my second book is about dating in a wheelchair. Um, I published greater things and I said, um, I either have cause I quit my job a month before greater things came out. And so I said, I either have to get another job or I have to write another book. So I said, what do I do a lot of that? I know a lot about of, a lot about that. I can write a book about and it was going on very failed first dates. So I um, went on 32 dates in two and a half months, which is crazy. And I published a comic book about dating in a wheelchair, um, so that was good. And then A Million Sons, um, my kind of follow-up to Greater Things just came out. That's <laughs> such an amazing
0: story. And we're going to talk about Date Me in a minute, but I want to just ask, what do you really hope to accomplish with Greater Things? What is your overall goal and what do you want your readers really to learn from your book?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I, my goal is to show people that I'm not because there's such a stigma around people with disability rightly so, because some of them are outspoken, some of them are obnoxious so a lot of us are t- too sensitive, you know um, I don't know there's a lot of examples like disabled and differently abled like who cares um, but just people just people just pick stuff and they just make themselves by picking stuff to focus on and push people away that they just kind of make us more of an other so in my books I'm my main goal is to show people like, I'm just like you, I'm just sitting down and something kind of crummy happened to me, but you know, I'm just, I'm just a normal person and I'm not this other that we seem, which I understand why we seem like that because some people are obnoxious, but I am just like you. I'm just a little bit shorter.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And, um, I really want to talk about date me. I think it's such a you know, more of a lighter view of your story and your experience. And so you have to tell us about these 32 dates in two months. What made you do this? Was it solely for a writing experience or did you actually, you know, mean to do this and want to do this? Tell us about your experience with all of these dates.
1: Yeah. So all of my dates were all Fumble, which is, kind of like Tinder, but, you know, quote unquote better, which, you know, it's not that much better. Um, and I was already on there, but then I decided I need to write another book to stay out of, out of the office. Um, and so I like updated my profile picture. I, you know, put a cup, put like a joke in my, in my whatever bio. And I went on, I was going on like four or five dates a week it was all first dates for the most part. It was, I wasn't dating for the story, but I was dating, I was, if I, got a, if I met someone and was in a relationship, that would be really great. And I'd be like, all right, experiment complete, but almost without fail, um, they were bad dates. They would say something rude. They make an inappropriate comment. They would ask a question that was like way too invasive or they just, you know, just be horny and boys with no manners. Um, not generalizing, just the boys in my area, I guess. Um, but I went on a lot of dates so much so that at the end of two and a half months, I stopped at 32, which is not a round number, but I stopped at 32. Cause I was like, I think this is enough. And like, not because I found a man that was really great, but I think this is enough because I was going on so many dates per week, um, for so many weeks that like, I think this is enough for my book and I don't want to do it anymore. And I just, after, after that. After my date me, um, I guess, research, I'll call it, I just like went dry for like a month because I was like, I don't wanna go on any more dates. I don't wanna talk to any more boys that I don't know. And like, I just, I'm just gonna stop because it wears you down. Because in my situation, it's um, a lot of the dates, they would make a rude comment about my disability. Like, a lot of the dates would ask really invasive questions. A lot of them just, our intentions were totally off. Like, I'm not there to just like, hook up and, you know, do all that stuff because it's just not me, which maybe I was just on the wrong platform, but it was just, it was just exhausting. Um, but I I got a good book out of it. I changed all their names, all but one by accident. I forgot to change his name (laughs) and he called me. Um, but, (laughs) um, it was fun. It was good. Do it once and don't ever do it again. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone.
0: That's hilarious. So, if anyone wants to read more about these dates and what actually went on, check out Kristen's book, Date Me. Um, You know, one question I do have is how do you think this accident has affected your confidence as a woman and your ability to date?
1: Um, My confidence was something, I don't know if that's just what every girl or what every person goes through. My confidence was something that was very, long sought after. Um I had to really like I was on top of the world when I was a freshman in college in high school. And then my accident happened and I'm just kind of like relearning how to pull up my pants when everyone else is like going to prom. Um, and so my confidence took a big hit. I had decided I had decided not I had accepted the fact that I don't think anyone's going to want to date me or be my boyfriend or marry me or anything until I can walk again. Um, And I just have to get, I just have to get, and I said, like, I'm not going to really going to have like really close friends or do really fun things or have a boyfriend until I can walk again and be quote unquote normal like everyone else. Cause it's just, it's just, I was just seeing that being around me, especially in the beginning was taking so much effort um, because people are trying to figure me out. I'm trying to figure myself out. And it's just, you know, I just accepted that. And then I started dating so much for tape me. Cause I honestly was just bored and had a part-time job. Um, and so I just gave it a shot and it failed cause it was bad. Um, but my confidence really came after that. Um, when I just realized that I like, I might be in a wheelchair and I might be all these things and these guys might be like pushing me away and treating me wrong, but I'm an awesome person. And I'm like really funny and I'm really fun and I'm fun to like, hang out with and all that stuff. And those people, those people that did take the extra effort to be around me and to, you know, lift me up the stairs or, you know, the really, that's it. But um, then those were the people that made me feel like I was worth it. And I, and it's just being around people that take the time to love you and be around you. And for a long time, for many years, that was, my family was like my people because I had kind of like lost All but a few of my friends, because the extra effort, and they were teenagers, and they were going to prom, and I was, you know, pulling my pants, whatever. So it's it's understandable. But those people that stuck around me, my family, and a few close friends, they kind of eventually brought me back into myself, which is extreme. Now I'm like the most competent person you'll ever meet because I look around and I'm like, there are people in my life. I have people in my life that love me and that take the time to be around me and that are so much fun to be around. Why would I not, why would I ever be unhappy around someone else who doesn't do that? It's just not worth it. I don't have time for that. I'm very sensitive, so I don't have the emotional energy for that. And, you know, just, just learning to love yourself. And that took a lot of years of being single and sometimes being alone. I mean, living alone and um, lots of tears and all that stuff and a very small dog. But, you know, it was worth it.
0: So, as a person with a disability, how do you really want to be treated, whether that's by men or by anyone hanging out with you? You mentioned how at the beginning, you know, a lot of people were uncomfortable around you, and, you know, people don't really know how to act. So, now is your time to tell us how you really want to be treated and how you want people to react when they're around you.
1: Um, General umbrella statement with respect. Um we are we, meaning people with disability and wheelchairs, um have feelings, are the same people as you, except we just had an unfortunate situation or we were born with something kind of more challenging, but um with the respect enough to not tiptoe around us and not be scared to talk to us or ask us things or you know, say anything that'll upset us. And if you're if you're ever wondering you know, what to do or what to say or how to help, then just ask, don't ever just assume, um, don't ever just come up behind me and start pushing my wheelchair up a hill because people do it all the time. Um, complete, complete strangers, come up behind me and just start pushing me. I'm like, hi, thanks, no thanks. Um, anyway, um, just ask and just treat us with respect and we're just people too and, you know, don't stress about it. We're, we're usually pretty friendly.
0: So you were given a second chance at life. How do you plan to spend the rest of your life? What are your goals? What do you hope to really accomplish throughout your second chance at life?
1: Hmm. Um, I am working on, I have, so I have three books out, working on some more books, working on my next book. I'm not saying more books um, eventually, but I need to take one book at a time, working on some more books, um, working on this TV show which, by the way, if you search Date Me on YouTube, you can watch episode one. Um, And I just want to put myself out there and um, offer a different perspective, a different person, a different face behind disability that is more approachable and more friendly and one that people would engage with. Um, on a personal level, I just got married last month. So very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So um, we are building a house, going to have, not, not going to have babies, but we're ready to start a family. And, um, and, you know, I'm just raising a beautiful dog and a husband now. So it's weird to say I'm a wife, but I am a wife. That is
0: amazing. Congratulations. I am so happy for you. And yeah. Um, oh, that's awesome. I love that. It brings tears to my eyes. I'm so happy. So I just want to close out with a fun fact about you that I do with all of my guests. Um, and I want to ask you, what has been your biggest joy in your life after your accident?
1: Um, my biggest joy. I forgot to think about this beforehand, but one of the things, one of my most proud and exciting things about myself is I am a nine time marathon finisher and a nationally competing wheelchair fencer. Um, so some of the most joyful moments um, in my adult life are crossing the finish line or sitting up on the medal stand and getting a medal for the fencing competitions and just being able to achieve something that people can look at and not say, Oh, poor girl, like not focus on the things that I don't have or the things that are different about me, but instead look at me and say, wow, look at her. She's, you know, in a or she's a fence, a wheelchair fencer. That's really cool. Um, instead of looking at me and saying, poor girl, she can't walk. Um, so that's, that's been really fun to kind of switch it up and, um, and do something that people can't do. People can be impressed with instead of looking at me the other way.
0: Awesome. Well, where can we find you on social media? Where can we follow what you're doing and what you're working on?
1: Yeah. So my website is Kristen Beale, Kristen with an I, beal with an E.com. Um, I can be found on, actually, this is a little complicated. If you on Instagram, you can find me as Kristen Gupta, my new last name, G-U-P-T-A, Kristen.Gupta. Um, and then I am on yeah, sorry about this. I'm on Facebook as Kristen Gufta too. Um, so it's a little confusing, but if you go to my website, that'll be great. KristenBio.com. And if you go to YouTube, you can search date me, um, and watch it's the first episode that comes up and watch the first episode. And we are funding for the second episode and the rest of season one. Um, so if you just read the comments, I think it's in there, how you can, how you can help out with that. But, um, join the party it's it's a lot of fun oh and one more thing and we have i actually have um i have a weekly comic that i put out every tuesday on instagram at greater things comics that's really fun that's like my continued way to um to have a platform and have an excuse to draw a bunch of silly pictures every week so it comes out on tuesdays on instagram greater things comics
0: Amazing. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us, opening up your life and really just being vulnerable. I mean, it has been truly amazing to be able to speak with you today. You have accomplished so much. You should be so proud of what you have done and where you are today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for sharing with
1: us. Thank you so much.